Welcome to the Rick Roberts School of Laughs podcast, where we aim to make you bigger, better, and more bookable. From the aspiring comedian to the part-time pro, this is the podcast for you. We'll talk all things comedy from the page to the stage, and now it's showtime. So I'm here again at Laugh Fest with one of the other comics on the Clean Comedy Showcase, and it's it's amazing that I, I don't know if of the eight of us if there's anybody that's just a complete outright jerk. I mean, usually <laughs> within a group of three at a club, some guy you're just trying to avoid the whole time. Right. right. But this is such. I put out the word today. Hey, come by and do the podcast if you want. And I think everybody's going to come and do it. So uh, it's it's pretty cool. And Pat McGancer, I don't know you hardly at all. Right. Besides just peeking in last night and seeing a couple minutes when you were on stage and you were killing it in there. So tell me a little bit about where you're from originally sure, and uh, how you got started in this whole crazy thing. So I'm from Chicago. Grew up there. I'm still there. Um, I started stand-up about six and a half, seven years ago. I was in sales. I got a little bit of a late start. I didn't start comedy until I was 31. Okay. And um, yeah, just been hustling, grinding. Ended up here, um, you know, got the invite a couple months ago. I love Grand Rapids. Uh, you know, I've been in the town quite a bit. Worked the club, Dr. Grins, and I do a lot with uh, with Funny Business. So I think maybe they they helped get me the gig. You know, that's pretty cool. So you were in what kind of sales? What were you selling? Packaging. Packaging. Like custom printed bags and like the the laugh ass bag we got. Uh-huh. The, 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 that's a non woven polypropylene rick. <laughs> nice. Printed two colors. Excellent. Two sides. Yeah, so like um, a lot of plastic bags, you know, we we were a distributor and our stuff was made in all over the world, China, right. um, Vietnam, Thailand. So you do a lot of stuff for like conferences or any kind of business? Yeah, mostly retailers. I had a bunch of business in Las Vegas, like all the casinos. Like if you buy something at Caesars Palace or the Flamingo Hotel, you, you get a bag with their logo on it, and uh-huh. that's what I did. I sold those bags. That's cool. So, and that did you travel around for that job a little bit? Or? I did. Yeah, quite a bit. I had a bunch of business in Vegas, some business in Texas. Um, I went to Hong Kong once for that job. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, that was really cool. How long did you get to stay there? Hopefully, long enough to enjoy. I was a there bit. for like eight nights. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. I got to. I ended up worked very little on that trip. Really? <laughs> yeah. It was a total bust for work. We worked this convention there. Uh-huh. And quickly found out that it wasn't gonna wasn't a good fit. Yeah, so we just kind of messed around the whole week. It was great. That's pretty wild. Yeah, it was fun. Now, did you when you first started in comedy? Did you still keep the sales job for a while? I did. Yeah, I I milked that for as long as I could. Kind of kept it a secret that I was pursuing comedy. And were you when you were going to Austin and Las Vegas? Were you looking for stage time? A little. Yeah, yeah, I was. I did. I I remember going to some shows in Vegas too. Like. And looking at it from a different angle. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, like is. You like, see Don Rickles or anybody? Or you? No, I remember I saw Rocky Laporte. Yeah, you know, Rocky. Rocky's great. Yeah, he's so funny. I think he's like. I mean, I know he had a, a deal for a while, and his sitcom didn't come out. And yeah. Not, but I just thought nobody better than Rocky Laporte. Oh, you're not kidding. Such a nice guy, and he can, great guy. He can play a tough guy on stage for a little bit if he wants to. I mean, he's yeah. got the look and the sound. So you get to see him at, at which place in Vegas? At the Improv. At the Improv. At Harris. Yeah, and I, um, who else did I see out there? I went to a few shows. But you know, when you're starting out, you're really looking at it differently. It's like you're enjoying it, but you're also like you scouting. That almost. second level of yeah. how can I apply this? 
what's this guy doing right here? Yeah, and it's not even like you're taking what they're doing, but right. you know how it is. It's yeah. just like you're just so intrigued by it, and you're you're looking at it from uh, an angle like, you know, how does this guy do it? How did he arrive at that joke? Or you appreciate um, the the little things like we were just talking about before before we started recording here about how guys just use facial expressions, or right? Subtle body movements or move their eyes. Yeah, or the pause. Yeah. The pause is something that we always talk about being patient and learning, but if you can learn to pause early and soak it in and enjoy it, right? it's less time you got to be telling jokes, for one. <laughs> but, you know, I worked with the comic a long time ago, uh, Jason Dixon. He's out of Kansas City area. Mm-hmm. And we were talking one time, and I used to be really rapid fire. Like, my whole gauge of success was how many jokes did I tell? Like, sure. how many laughs did I get? It was all about that. And we were working, I think, in Louisville at the comedy club there, of all places, and he's we're hanging out in the condo. He's like, have you ever thought about slowing down a little bit? Oh, yeah. I'm like, well, that's my goal is to get the most laughs I can. He's like, you're losing laughs because you're talking past it. Going over him. And he goes, I guarantee if you slow it down, tonight go up half speed and see how it works. Yeah. I'm like, I can't even fathom what half speed would be like. He's like, well, just when you say the words, listen to the words you're saying, and that will slow it down a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I did, and I got two or three applause breaks that I never had had before. Because I let the joke sink in long enough sure. for them to actually react. And his sentence that I still I teach this to my students now is, when you're on stage, you're having a conversation with the crowd. Right. And so you speak and they laugh. But if you start cutting them off from the laughing, it's like cutting somebody off in conversation. And pretty soon they just won't interact again. And so I learned more in that one week about my act and how I could get more out of it just from that one thing that he took the time to tell me. Sure. So it's weird how you can like, and I could have watched him and learned that if I had downloaded that information from watching but he had to actually tell me for me to get it right you know that is such a thing and, and I've, I've heard that before um, about how it is a conversation and they have a part in that conversation so you really have to let them yeah know, and even a groan let the jokes or a... breathe too and yeah let them react let them it's uh it's more than then you're like in sync and then you're not like just talking at them right you know you're kind of like in it together and have you felt that? I know I felt it last night in the first show, just trying to get the pace going really quick. I felt like all of a sudden I'm, I was in the rhythm without being in the room. Sure. You know, like, okay, I'm, this is my boom, boom, boom. Wait a second. React. Listen to them. Have fun. Right. It's only 18 minutes. It doesn't mean you have to do twice as much material. Yeah. You know what it is, too? It's like, I always find this. Like, if I go on a club week, like, that first night is so, like, just kind of, you've been off for a few nights, a couple nights, and I get on stage quite a bit. But, like, this week, I, I haven't been on stage since uh, probably last Saturday. So, Saturday to Thursday, mm-hmm. that's, that's a pretty big break for me. So, it's like that first night back, it always is, like, a little bit like, okay. And then by the second show tonight, we'll be feeling so good. We'll be more comfortable with the surroundings. Right. You know, you really get to, like, you're just getting... Get your bearings. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird just feeling the room out, dealing with the distractions. There's a couple. We've got a band that was playing last night in the same building that we're in. It was bleeding through everything. So you got to figure out, are you going to address that or not address it so the crowd doesn't think about it? Yeah. I mean, if you say something now, they're all thinking about it, but maybe not everybody is right now. There's all those little things. And well, every- that's a continued distraction, too. It's not like somebody dropped a glass and then you got to recognize that. Right. But you're so right. If you point it out, then all of a sudden it's like, you know, the, everyone's staring at the elephant in the room and then they're... Yeah, they're really biggest, thinking about it. And they don't even hear it till the show starts because they're talking before the show starts and there's music pumped in that showroom. Mm-hmm. So it's not even obvious to them until the show starts and it's quiet that something's going on somewhere else and it drives you nuts. I can't believe that <laughs> they didn't think of this. I know. It's, it's, it is crazy. And that happens in all kinds of different places. There's always 
there was a room in Youngstown, Ohio once there was a dance club in the front. It was a Holiday Inn deal. Mm-hmm. But they had like a 200-seat deal on, on the other side of the door. And the, sh- the first show was like from 7 to 8.30 or something early enough, but the DJ was already playing on the other side like it was midnight. And we'd have to go out two or three times. All the comics would kind of parole it for each other. Like, could you knock it down? Because it was just thump, thump. Yeah. Nonstop. That's crazy. So The things we deal with. Lots of stuff. Now in Chicago, that's I almost moved there a long time ago. I thought... It's definitely a comedy city. Sure. Uh, highly competitive, but lots of rooms, lots of chances, and a great central location in the country to travel out of. Yeah. So you just happen to be there when you got the comedy bug. Yeah, that's where I've, I've always lived there, and, and I think that's, um, you know, it's, it's very uh, improv-oriented, Chicago, mm-hmm. the scene. And it's, you know, obviously known for Second City. They have a tremendous amount of uh, improv theaters. Stand-up scene is very strong, too. It really is. Um I work at Zany's quite a bit. Yeah, I was yeah. like the house MC there, so that's kind of really what I think helped me develop down maybe on Well a Street more quickly. Yeah, yeah, that's man. I think that is that is the type of club. If all these new improvs could just make those little boxes, those right. shoe boxes, right. instead of these big ones with railings and stuff, that is a walk off the street. The stage is right there. Yep, and it's what is it seat? Not even. I think like one fifty. Yeah. 140, and they have um, it's a little bit longer of a room. Like, they, so they just opened another club in Rosemont, like right near the, the airport by O'Hare. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the only Zanies that's like built to be a club. And it's a little bit, it's not a huge room, it's like 250, and it's left to right, low stage, like the Zanies mm-hmm. stage in Wells is a little bit high. I think it's really high, yeah. But it is this new one is just perfect. That's but cool. Zanies, the original, just has the charm. The mystique, the history, all the headshots, all the like, all of it's right there for you to absorb. So you know you're like in a special, special well, place. Well, that's a little like, Comedy Avenue there, because Second City's right down the yeah, street. Yeah, right down there. Uh, I remember one time I was working at Zany's, and uh, I can't remember the guy's name was Miguel. One of the guys that was working there at the time, Martin. Martin. Yeah, he's yeah. still there. Is he really? Yeah. Love that guy. And uh, he grabbed me after the second show and he goes, "Reek, you want to do a set at Second City?" <laughs> I'm like, "What?" He's like, they need somebody. They're, they were doing. It was a year of an election year. Really? And they were doing all this political stuff, and I just happened to have like seven minutes of political humor. So they were looking for a comic to come over and do seven minutes to warm up the crowd before the, they got into their skit. You know? Really? So I got, it was Second City, etc. Yeah. But I got to go out there, and, and that was a cool little smaller yeah. area, you know. But man, it was fun just to say I got to go in there and do something. There's no better feeling, I think, than doing two sets at two different places. Yeah. In the same night. Yeah. Like two different. You feel like, like you're really working. It. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> you hear about the guys in New York, right? And that's how that's what they have to do to survive, and they're going club to club, hustling. You know, most of the cities don't have that, right? You know, in Chicago, it's hard just because some of them are that far away, right? Suburbs to yeah. city. So I've had the opportunity to do that just a couple times, a few times. I think it's so cool. That's cool. Now, House MC for those of you that are aspiring and don't know what that is, you're the same. You, you open up with the show for. Months at a time, sometimes. Yeah. Right. So how long is it? So I had my longest stretch. I did a six-month stretch. Wow. And we're doing Zanies is open every night of the week. I was off on Mondays, and um, so you know Tuesday through Sunday, we would do nine to maybe sometimes ten, eleven shows. That's awesome. And I was uh, I did that that stretch for six months. Then I was probably off for a month and back there. I mean, there was one year where I did I think nine or ten of the twelve months. And then I, I was a house MC. I still do it occasionally. Like this year, I'm going to do it, I think, three months. Mm-hmm. But I was, um, I did that for f- four years. Wow. Three, four years. That's so a great opportunity. a ton of shows. 
Yeah, it was a great opportunity, and it really helped me develop. Where, the, where I developed the most with the House of Sea work was just get getting comfortable on stage, talking to the crowd, interacting. Right. So I do a little bit of that in my act. I do uh, quite a bit of crowd work. Um, you think when you get that gig, you're like, oh, I'm going to be able to develop so much material, but I never really, I never really capitalized in that way, mm-hmm. because I felt like I would go up there, have some strong crowd work. And then if I started new new stuff, I'd lose them. Right. So the I was dynamics. like, the crowd was like into it. We're having a great time. I want to keep them. So I would do stuff I knew worked, mm-hmm. and then bring up bring up the other acts. But I was still growing and developing. Right. But not in the area that where you think you're going to right. develop. But occasionally you probably pull a nugget out that you came up with on the spot. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And then like when I started doing stand up, I was writing like big bits, like chunks. And then when I was house MC, I would. I wouldn't like drop a big chunk because you can't like try out a new five minute bit. If the first minute doesn't work, right, you're killing yourself. So yeah. I was I was I was building like a little bit s- smaller blocks, uh-huh. you know, smaller shorter jokes. And you get to that pretty early on. I mean, because the last time I kind of went through the Chicago scene, they would have long time headliners do the house MC. Yeah, and do that for like guys like John DeCoss. Yeah, when I, like yeah, that. John's still doing it. Yeah, yeah, he's great. So when I was when I started, they weren't doing house MCs at Zanies on Wells. They were doing them at Vernon Hills, which is now mm-hmm. closed. Then that was replaced by by the Rosemont Club and St. Charles. They were still doing house MCs. So I started in uh, 2008. Was this first, my first booking at Zanies, and they booked me to host for like a week, and then. That, like, October of 2008, they said, we're going to go back to the House MC model, and we want you to be our House MC down here. That's sweet. So I started in 09. That is pretty cool. Yeah. Because not a lot of guys get that chance that young. Right. In the business, you know, to kind of get oh, that Oh, I was so lucky. Time. And to think back, I was, you know, there was such a stigma with hosting, and there still is, where people doing, you know, starting out and doing open mics, and they start to get bookings, they want to go right to that feature. Right. End. And they're like, oh, I'm hosting. Oh, I'm just hosting. Well, that's a great opportunity. So it doesn't, not for every act. Right. Some acts are Some not. Some acts can't be a host. They can't be hosting. Yeah. But I think that if people like would realize that it's a really good opportunity, a great skill to have, because now I can, like, now I'm hosting corporate events. And, right. You know, they might want some comedy, but they just want someone that can, like, facilitate the night. Yeah. You know, be comfortable on stage, announce people. I've done a couple of award shows. I presented at the uh, Chicago Emmys this past oh, cool. year, so it's like hosting is it's it's stage time. It's it's really great opportunity if you can be a house MC. That's a ton a ton of experience. Yeah, that's an awesome. I mean, it's just a super opportunity. It's, I always try to explain to the aspiring and new comics that comedy is a skill that puts you in other places. So hosting those awards parties. I mean, the cool thing about that is you're in, in front of creative people in that last particular one, the Chicago Oscars or whatever you said there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you you. Lend yourself maybe to get into a commercial or doing some voice yeah. work and just and and other spinoff events from that thing. This hey, you did a great job on that. It well, beats having to beat the door down to, to get them to like you. They saw you for an hour and right. a half or three hours commanding the stage, so it's just a great opportunity. And House MC, I mean, the amount of people that came through in those chunks of time. Oh yeah, yeah. So as House MC, you get to there's so many benefits. You get to meet all these great comics that are coming. Well, through. that's true. Yeah, huge. You're not on the road, which is not a bad thing. Right. You know. Um, I mean, you have to go out on the road to grow. I, I do believe that. But it, it, in the meantime, I built a great network with comedians. I met some great people. Learned a lot by watching all these great acts. You know, you're with different people all the time. 
and then um, you know just that skill is invaluable like when you start the headline which I'm doing now it's like when you headline you're doing all three acts within one act right you're hosting you're middling and you're closing you, you really know? are and when you start doing corporate events on your own and you, then you're, you're, you're your own MC right so that's, that's yeah you have to be you have to be able to do that. Yeah, it's a gear, and I think people, like you say, especially young comics, they try to skip past that so fast because it's the lowest paying gig, and it's sometimes you, you bite the bullet up front, right? Take the bullet for the team, especially when you're first starting. You just you have no idea what you're doing up there. Yeah. And realistically, looking back, you know. But you get the house MC gig, and they were they, you know, they, it's a great gig at Zanes. They take care of you, and you're you know you're well paid, and that was funny when I was starting out. Like you just realize like people would come in and be like dismissive. Right. He's like, oh, yeah, you're hosting. And meanwhile, like, you know you're, do, you, you're doing better than something. Yeah, yeah. You, and it's like, after a while, they start to realize, like, and it's your home turf, too. Right. You know? And you start to feel like one of the people that works at that club. Yeah, beyond just on stage, just yeah. part of the network that keeps that thing moving along. That's a cool, that's really cool. I, um, I know three or four guys at House MC, and have done it for, I mean, that's their gig, period. They don't go out on the road at all. Right. Uh, Scott Wilson in Lexington, Kentucky does that. And, you know, it's a seven to ten minute spot. And it's just, I always thought, man, I don't know if I could pull that off. Mentally, I would think that every crowd was the same crowd that saw me last night and I had to do something completely different. Yeah, right. Like, I, I would never get past that phase. These are all new people. They might mm-hmm. come back in a month, but they're not here the same week. Sure. So do you ever have any moments where you looked out and you're like, have oh, I yeah. seen that guy 70 times before? Yeah, after a while, you, there are some regulars. Um, but I would, that's the thing. I I wouldn't get hung up on that because I would do so much crowd work. Right. So much stuff like that would be in the moment. And that kept it fresh for me. I would have gone nuts if I was going up doing the same exact, you know. And I learned that from watching a guy like John DeCoste. John does so much crowd stuff. You know, he very rarely, he will do material to get people in that mode, mm-hmm. you know, to set up the next comedian. you got to do that. I think, let's but talk about that be for a, a second. Because I, I talked about that in my class. If uh, if you're following a guy that did a lot of crowd, crowd work or was asking too many rhetorical questions yeah. and didn't reset the stage correctly, sure. then it can really, you know, as you're, as a house MC, you didn't set up the show correctly. So right. it's about making that whole experience a great one. Yeah, yeah you have to realize it's not your show. It's not about you. you it, it's your show in the sense that you're running it, but it's not about you. You know, you have to, like, realize that, you know, the, the feature act has to be set up well. And certainly the headliner, the feature act totally eats it. You got to go up there and, and yeah. get them back going. If the feature act crushes, you got to let them let the room breathe, right. breathe a little bit, do some announcements, right. tip your servers, Bring it back down to earth. maybe do a couple, of, then then do a couple of jokes, maybe not like some heavyweight jokes, just you know, right. get them going, and then uh, you know refocus the room. So you have to read it, you know. You can't you can't just like go upstairs and not. Have any sense of what's going on? You got to be in the room. You got to be in the room. You have the temperature and the, yeah. the pulse. Of Not the, room. the whole entire show. I mean, right. I, I'd be a hypocrite if I said I watch every minute of every show because sometimes you just yeah. got to get out of there. Too. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you have to, uh, you know, you have to realize kind of you know what's going on. That's cool. And I and I think it's important for the headliner and the middle act to watch the host, especially if they are doing some crowd work and they are asking some questions, because they're pulling stuff out that they can use. Oh, yeah. They're going to look silly if they ask the same question. They'll look or ridiculous. Or if they ask something, you know, what's your name? Well, you, I told the other guy my name. Yeah. You know, I talked to him for three minutes. It's you know, crazy. And they're asking the same stuff. There's a ton of value to having a... We talk about callbacks in the writing class, and it's not just your own material, but if, if something happened earlier in the show... It's and a you gift. It. It's just like, and it's it's something that's only this night. You can only use it this night. Yeah. So just do that and take that little 
two-minute break from your regular set and have some fun that's going to make that entire show come together. It's like full circle if the headliner calls yeah. something back that happened during the MC or the Features Act. I don't see how that doesn't make it more fun for everyone. The yeah. crowd loves it. It's different for you, so you're not doing the same exact stuff. Right. You know, I think guys forget about looking for those little departure moments from your set and just having fun with it. Yeah. But it sounds like you've got that part down. And in, in your longer shows, um, do you, I know you probably banter a little bit to get them going, but do you find a point where you try to cross over and now I'm going to do my act? Yeah, you know, I, it's funny. I was just today, I, I, I'm listening to these shows I recorded. Um, I recorded like four shows in January over a weekend. Where I was headlining Zanies and Rosemont because I want to get a CD. I don't have a CD. Mm-hmm. And it's tough when you're listening to yourself and you realize, like, all right, why'd you step out of the bit there? You know, just do your stuff. Stay in the bit and finish yeah, it out. Stay in the, um, which I am getting better at, at doing. And I'm, that's what I want to focus on this year, getting away from hosting as much and developing material. Um, but yeah, you have to, like, it's, it's funny how you just kind of, you think you're just doing the time, you're filling the 50 minutes. You know, and um, I mean, I have the material, but I do like to do crowd work. And I'm up there, and I see something I want to comment yeah. on, or ask somebody a question, or to see where it goes. Like, I enjoy it. It keeps it fresh for me. That's how it, I keep myself kind of sane. I think, and just I love that part of it. Right. But I think if I'm doing new material, that'll keep it fresh for me too. There's nothing like if you have a new bit, you're dying to get on stage. Yeah. Because you're like, Dad, this is funny. It's fun for me, and it's like develop. Is when you're still in the development stage, like it's already working, but you know that you can, right. you can tweak it to make it better and tighter. Yeah, that's especially when it's fun when you're working a new bit. First, especially the very first night, because it's, it's kind of like you you've written it, you've looked at it. It's like an ultrasound. Like that's yeah, that's what it's gonna look like when <laughs> yeah. it's born. But you get out there, and you're like, oh, it's completely different than I thought. Or the emphasis where they laugh, they like that part of the joke and not this part. You, know, yep. you fall in love with one little sentence you write sometimes, like, this is brilliant. Right. It goes right past them, but the, the kind of corny or cheesy or whatever thing that yeah. you dismiss is what they really like. Like, well, that's what that joke is now. Mm-hmm. And it really is like watching your kid grow up, like, oh, man. Yeah. I thought this was going to be like a football player. Yeah, it's, it's frustrating. like a computer nerd joke, you know? Yeah. It's, but it's fun seeing that stuff evolve and at least being alert enough to pay attention to it, you know? I think some guys just. Once the show's done, they're drinking beers and knocking it out and forgetting what they just did. Yeah, it, it's hard for me to listen to myself, like to record a show and listen to it. It just is. I don't love... I think it's almost easier to watch myself, like if, if I have a, a videotape. Right. Because you can see so much, so many other things where you get a laugh off a, a gesture or right. an expression. Um, but listening to yourself is so helpful. It helps you remember the stuff when it's new. Right. And then it, you just realize like other things you can say or how you can make it better so there's a lot of value in recording recording I your think sets. so it, it is tricky you yeah. know I always when I was on the road especially I would listen to the set on the way back mm-hmm. in the car because you know it's usually a 20-30 minute drive at least or the next morning and I, and I gravitated towards the next morning because I'm not emotionally involved with the set anymore yeah that's a good idea like too. if you rocked it out you're going to listen to the way back and, and think you still rocked it out right but if you rocked it out the next morning you'll still like I didn't really rock it out yeah, yeah. I did good Yeah. it wasn't like I thought I did and conversely sometimes you have a set where you walk off stage like I could not get that crowd to save my life sure well those are the ones you learn from you learn from the bad shows right you really do so it's like and that's that was a cool thing about doing as many shows as I was doing there were points where I would just think about something that I could have said. 
because after a while, like you're never, you've never seen it all, mm-hmm. but you've you get to a point where you've had a lot of you know run-ins with the same stuff. You get the point of reference. Yeah, yeah. So you're not completely trying so to figure out. So you're prepared for a good percentage of you know what could possibly happen. Right. And then when something different happens, you learn from that too, and then you have that under your belt. Right. But you have like uh, getting back to like the new material. I still am. I'm more comfortable on stage. And it's obviously a little bit easier, but doing new stuff is a bitch. It always will be. Because it, it doesn't go anywhere, right? right? That's what I find is like, where do I put it? I've got a set that works. All this is working together. Right. Now I'm going to disrupt it and throw something in the middle of it or at the beginning. Yeah, you don't know where to put it. You don't know how to say it. You don't know what to say after it. And you're doing it and you're really keyed in on how are they responding to this. And then when you're done with it, you're so used to what you, your your next bit is. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't do the exact same order every time, but I have a general idea, right. you know. But when you finish that new bit, your brain is not like, <laughs> okay, now here's some other options. Right. You know, you're just not, and you're really like, okay, they liked it. They liked that joke. Okay, I got to remember that. Oh, they didn't like that part. You're evaluating yeah. it as you're saying it, where most of the time when you're doing material you've done before, you're already at a minute ahead of the audience. Right. You're thinking about what you're doing next, you know? Like, they really like this one. Oh, they're going to like right, yeah. this other yeah, I'll go to this, that. Exactly. Getting, I like doing that, too. And early in the shows, I try, in the first five minutes, I try to have something for every kind of type of person in the crowd. Like, yeah. whatever kind of sense of humor they have. So if it's goofy or if they like the cerebral or if they're clever or word, whatever it is. And kind of gauge in that first five minutes what I might go to in the next five. Sure. So it kind of like builds out. If they didn't buy into anything the first five, then I don't know what this crowd's into. Right. But usually, you know, hopefully everything works to a certain level. But there'll be a couple of pockets. Oh, they really like that. Mm-hmm. And last night was, uh, for me, a younger crowd, even though it wasn't tr- tremendously young. Most of my stuff's like 40 and up corporate events. But I'm looking out. Yeah, I think you guys had a younger crowd in your room. Than, I think than we, we did. did. Yeah. You know, there's some 20-year-olds, some 18-year-olds in the crowd. Mm-hmm. And as I get older, I keep thinking, do I have anything for these guys? But I always have something. Where it might just be a tag that they will really get. But they sure. you know, they're not invested in the full joke, but they get that one little thing. Yeah. So I try never to leave anybody out for more than five minutes. But that's when I go on stage, I don't know which five minutes is next until I do that first five. Yeah. And whatever they react to, I spiral it off that way. But eventually, I do all my little five-minute chunks. It just kind of comes in a different order. So is that how you your act? If you had to break it down, you you it's mostly a bunch of five-minute chunks. You think three to fives? Yeah. Yeah. I try to. I used to constantly try to write. And if I, if I had one liner I thought was funny, I'd try to build on it and build on it. And sometimes i just let it sit there for a couple of months until I had something else in that topic area mm-hmm. until I could glob together three minutes that were on the same general topic. And then I felt it was worthy of being on the stage and developing from there. Mm-hmm. But I could never just, like right now, if I thought of two great lines, I wouldn't just throw them in tonight in the middle of nowhere. Right. I'd wait till I got 14 other things, one, 14 other punch lines that I could put around it. So it's a three-minute bit. And, I, I feel and then where do you like to test the new stuff at after you've been... Yeah, for me, it's now I kind of have to squeeze it into when I'm doing corporate events. Yeah, you know, because I don't, I got kids and stuff. When I'm home, I kind of like to be home, so I'm not out ten yeah, thirty at night doing yeah. the open mics. So um, I find parts in my corporate event where I can kind of just take a break. Once I've got the job going, you know, mm-hmm. first fifteen twenty minutes they're enjoying it. I'll just bring in that new three to five minute thing and see how it works. And there's always exit points. You know, we were talking earlier about you know, escape hatches <laughs> if they're not yeah. buying into it. But I know what my crowd likes, and I know the age groups. So they're, they're interested in the topic. It's just whether I'm developing the comedy around it right. And it's easier to do when you have, like, you've built up some goodwill, 
now you got a little bit of slack right in the rope because they will hang you if <laughs> yeah even at that even at that kind of a gig they're like looking but then but that's that's the one like advantage you have as a as a uh, like accomplished and experienced comedian is you can you can put stuff in front of it that you know works and you can get out of it and do stuff after it that right. you know works but when it's still new it's still tough yeah and I think too is I used to hold back from putting stuff in even in even in the early stages when I got it to the three minutes I liked I still would kind of wait and I'd wait till I found something that could really twist it and but you know I listen to all these different podcasts and I'm a big business guy like I love to learn about business and they keep talking about the minimum viable product yeah the MVP so like a lot of these companies now that make apps they'll create a, a little squeeze page or whatever and see how many people are interested in this app and they'll make the smallest version of that app it's not fully maxed out it's just to see if there's somebody's going to buy it mm-hmm. so they don't invest all their time in something that's not worthy so now I'm trying to convince myself like I'm going to throw the joke out there in an the earlier stage to see if it's worthy of building upon before I build on it for a couple more weeks or whatever or more you know versions of it before I get it out there yeah so uh, for, for new comics they might think they have to write the whole three minute bit right off the bat you don't have to whatever you get out there just get the temperature of, of how you are on stage right and get it going don't don't wait till you to do a 10 minute spot until you've got 10 minutes wait till you got eight and yeah breathe a little bit and have some fun with the crowd and then don't abandon anything and keep tweaking it and tightening it and there's so much out there right now that's like you know um a new hour i'm mean, gonna do a new hour every year right I mean, it's it's hard to do that. I think it's nearly impossible, except for the couple guys that have pulled it off. Right. I mean, you have to really tighten things, say it a bunch, work it, master it, because, like you said in the beginning, just no one, every single part of it, the pauses, the timing, right, the gestures, the you know, you're never done. And then you that, think that's you're exactly done. right. It's almost like an eighty twenty rule too. If you look at your jokes, you know, you have. Um, when you're writing new stuff, you can write 20% completely new things. Right. But then you can spend the other 80% of your time on your act, your existing act, and you can get more out of those jokes. Right. There's always more there. Yeah, more layers, more tags, more... Putting the focus into it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. I always tell people, they're like, don't you ever get tired of doing comedy? I'm like, no. It's the only homework that I've ever been given that I can't wait to try to figure out the next day. Yeah. If it worked, I want to see how I can make it better. If it didn't work, i got to get it to where it's right. And there's always something to learn from it, you know. It's 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 a cool dynamic, and I think you have to have that willingness in yourself to do comedy. If you're not somebody that wants to learn from your mistakes, this is not from you. It, yeah. It's not going to be pretty for a long time. And you time. always have someone to talk to about it, too. I'm sure you had, like, your very close friends in comedy and yeah. people that you talk to about bits. I mean, just like today, you, you sent out this text, and everybody responded because, yeah, they're all great guys, but also we love talking about comedy. You know? Yeah, it's, it, I was pretty impressed with that too. I, I thought, eh, I almost even didn't send it out. I'm like, yeah, these guys are, they need their afternoons off. Yeah. But, you know, it's a craft. That's it's really an cool opportunity stuff. for us to talk about ourselves, and we like doing that. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you went from sales to comedy, is, are there any sales approaches or systems or techniques you use when you try to get bookings, or is there oh, any yeah. kind of process that you can share with us? I think that helped me a ton when I started getting, uh, like, kind of. Advancing and having that sales experience, calling people, following up—you're still selling something. You're just selling your yourself. It's like now instead of selling packaging, I was selling right. me. And you're more interested in selling you because 
you know it better than anyone else. And yeah. I think just like having common courtesy with people, having like real life experience. Like I didn't, I wasn't on stage from 20 to, to 30, but I was living life. I had like real things to, you know, by the time I started doing stand up, I was, I just met the girl that I ended up marrying. But I had, you know, I dated for 10 years. I could talk about that. I could right. talk about the workplace. And, you know, so it, sometimes I feel like, damn, I wish I started when I was 21 or 18. But then I'm like, yeah. It could have just been a tough 10 years of waiting to get experience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I meant. But the selling in, in any kind of business sense, because it is, it's just, it's, it's a business. And how did, one thing I struggled with early on, I think I've kind of got a good grasp for it now, is how do you sell yourself? Because you're the product and you're the salesperson. Mm-hmm. And so you you have to somehow talk about yourself in a way that's a commodity yeah. without sounding like you're bragging. you got to get across the point. You can yeah, the I'm, I'm not the best at that. Like, I, sometimes I think I'm a little bit too self-aware, like, mm-hmm. and that translates on, like, the social media stuff. And I'm not constantly on Twitter or on Facebook or, right. you know, some people really have... Uh, you know, taking advantage of that and spun that into to gold where I'm like, who the hell wants to hear from me right. all the time? <laughs> and you hesitate to be like, I'm great, you should book me. But right. there's other ways to do it, you know? Yeah, I think you get and gather some reference letters, especially in the corporate market. You know, if you do well enough and you get people, you know, then you're happy to say, hey, I can send you a, a clip. I got, you know, I could send you uh, some reference letters. Mm-hmm. And the reference letters are great. I mean, it's, it's I hated asking for them early on, Yeah. but the more I did, I would just do it when I got my check at the, after the gig. I'm like, hey, Monday or Tuesday when you're back home, you're back at the office, I'm going to shoot you an email. If you just write something on company letterhead, you can scan it, right. shoot it over. Uh, if you don't mind doing that, I'd love it. And what helped me out is starting to put those references in uh, categories. Mm-hmm. Like I do a lot of healthcare conferences now because I've got 20 references from different healthcare organizations and they're all big ones. Right. And so if somebody hasn't hired me and they see that, they're like, oh, this guy does a ton of health stuff. It'll fit in fine. I don't have a great deal of material about health, but I've just got those references from that community. I got yeah. you know, all the banks and credit unions that's in another batch. So I send them category specific, industry specific reference letters. Mm-hmm. And so that's something you do as you go along with the different corporate events, especially. Oh, yeah. And you have that. And you know, I've gotten a, a great relationship with the with the people at Zanies, and just knowing those bookers and how they kind of think, mm-hmm. and you know, the, I might hear like, "Oh, I got this email. It's like, you should book me. I see who was on your calendar. I'm better than those guys." Right. You don't want to do that. Right. <laughs> Working with other comedians and just networking with them, which again is like, you know, that's just going through life. You just you treat people how you want to be treated, and you're going to develop relationships where they're going to think of you. The next time they need an opener, you know, or they need, you know, someone down the road, they could recommend you for a gig. You know, these corporates now that you're doing, it's like every year they're booking somebody. Right. They don't want the same guy every year. Right. It's not going to work. So. Yeah, it's good to have a network of four or five buddies. You can kind of rotate the gig and you know you're, the gig's going to still be there. Yeah. They're not going to stink it up. Or yeah, kill they're them. all accounts. You just got to figure out a way to, to right. hang on to them, right? That's pretty cool. And then lastly, um, do you have any benchmarks or metrics or anything throughout the year where you kind of, instead of just going on your gut feeling and, and the dollar amount that you got on the books for the year, track how, how you're making progress for this year, whether it's a goal that you're trying to set for the entire year and where you're hitting it throughout? Sure. What do you do to keep take the emotional I have like goals. The- like last year, my big goal was to get on uh, Letterman. And I, I got on in January I was on. And that was like that was huge for me. That's the first real break I've gotten. Like that was uh, 
national TV and right. I was so now you, you quickly realize it's like you got to do something else right. really quick. So what did you reset? So now you know I would love to get on another talk show or another late night mm-hmm. set. Um, Comedy Central, I haven't done anything with them. I'd love to try and mess with them at some some level, get my foot in the door there. And then just, if I can look at my, you know, what I pulled in, and it's better than the year before, right. then it's like, we'll keep doing this. Yeah, that's why I always... Because I got a wife and kids, and it's yeah <laughs> tough to justify sometimes. Yeah, how old are your kids? You're two and eight months. Man, we all got babies up here, almost. I got a... 18-month-old and an 8. Do you really? Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. So non-stop material there. But I find the crowd wants to hear X amount of minutes about kids and then the next thing. Right. But that, what's fun for me is that that 6 or 7 minutes rotates every month because they're doing something crazy and different. Yeah. And the interaction between two kids, there's a ton of stuff there. So it's cool. Yeah, the, goal, the having the goals thing I think is important, more important than I ever thought because I never was a like, goals-oriented person. I was just like, I'll just do it. I'm just going to do my thing and see what happens. But... Yeah, it's it's mine have changed over the years and it, honestly for a long time I was filling up the calendar if I saw a week where I wasn't somebody it killed me yeah and I would, I would fill it and then I would get to that place I'm like why did I book this gig yeah you know then I ran this whole I made this it was a hundred point scale thing and each thing got ten points is how much did I enjoy the gig did that gig lead to other gigs sure were there good comics on the bill was the city good was the condo good did you you know just a met like a out of a hundred and some of these things are like 30. Like, what I, so I started not looking. I did like the 80-20 rule. Got rid of the bottom 20% yeah. every year. That's a skill to be able to say no. That should be a goal. It is. I to think be able to say no to some things. Yeah, I don't need to have more gigs this year. Right. I need to have better quality gigs. Right. And, and spend more time working those gigs and making them better than trying to have every single gig out there. There are plenty of ways to waste time doing this. Right. <laughs> we have so much free time. There is. You know, and, and it's like... Be pro- being productive is is a constant like battle. Yeah, you, you got a lot of free time. You're moving around a lot. You're doing different things, so it's hard to have a set routine. So that's always tough too. And then throw in the family too. You know, throw in the family. Uh, the family kind of reprioritized my free time. Yeah. Because first, with the, when the first kid went to school, I had okay. When from seven in the morning till two, nobody's in the house. He's at school. I can focus then. Then we had the baby, and so the baby's there all the time. My wife's home all the time. I had to end up getting the office space where I could go away to. So I can separate the oh, two that's things. Smart, yeah. You know, when I come home from the office, I've done everything I need to do for that day. I catch up later on after in bed if I need to. But between four and eight, I'm just dad hanging out. I can help out in the kitchen or with the baby or with my son, whatever. But I don't have to worry about checking my email anymore right. or going to write. All that stuff was done, and it was a kind of a big stepping point for me just to just draw that boundary. Yeah. But everything's improved markedly since just making that one conscious decision because your your home is your home, and to have a home office is oh, it's tricky. Yeah, it is. And if your phone, every phone call that comes in, you got to answer. Right. And it's just you got to have some kind of boundary there. So, whether it's getting off to a different place or before that, I used to go to the Marriott down the street. It's about 15 minutes away, and they had free Wi-Fi and they had Starbucks, and I was sitting there for three or four hours. But that kind of got lame, you know. Yeah. So now I got that dedicated spot. And so That's much. great. Yeah. That's an accomplishment right there. Yeah. I'd just, love to have an office. Think about it as you move forward. Those kids. Yeah. They're all up in your stuff. You need to get away. Mm-hmm. I give you permission to give yourself permission to get out of there, buddy. <laughs> right. Well, thank you very much. Where can people find thank you online? You, um, I have a website, patmcgancomedy.com. I am on Twitter. Cool. As much as I don't tweet. And is your Letterman clip up on your site? It is, yeah. Cool. So you guys go check that out after you download this thing, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Rick. You bet.
Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. For information on upcoming classes, check out schooloflaughs.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a ranking on iTunes. Send any questions or comments to schooloflaughs at gmail.com. And until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay funny.